This is Detention, a podcast dedicated to candid conversations about education. I'm your host, Dr. Nadia Lopez, a global leader, author, speaker, coach, consultant, and entrepreneur who opened a school to close a prison. Join me as I share my insights and bring fellow disruptors to serve time in conversation. Rebels, let's get into some good trouble. This episode is being brought to you by Elevated BLK, which focuses on personal development and sustainability for educators. We offer live and on-demand courses that help you to build your skills, see your vision, or pivot from the position. You can check out our apparel line, join our newsletters, or even see the books that we offer by visiting www.elevatedblk.com. Hey, Detentionites. So it is that time of the year. Testing season is upon us. And as this episode drops in the state of New York, where I did a majority of my educational career, there are young scholars who are taking the English language arts across third to eighth grade. And let me tell you, it is a really stressful time. I've been a witness throughout my career seeing children break down and cry the fear of failing, as they would say, the fear of not doing well and not going to the next grade. You know, that anxiety hits and it is real. I even saw it in my own daughter when she was in fourth grade. It was her first time being in a New York City public school because she had gone to private school. And she was stricken with so much anxiety. She thought like, Mommy, I don't know if I can do this. I don't want to fail you. And I thought to myself, it's just a test. You'll do fine. You've been prepared to do this for a very long time. But there was something about the ordeal of being in a school where literally the teachers focused on test prep for weeks and months. And in many schools, there are Saturday classes that are dedicated to the preparation of doing well on these exams. But I want to take a pause for a minute. I want you to just think about what is this timeline when we think about schools and what teachers are expected to do in terms of getting children ready, not just for a test, but learning a subject area. Let's just look at the school calendar year. No, perhaps we should just start with the entire calendar year for everyone, which is 365 days, right? But in the U.S., a large majority of schools only have 180 days of classes. Now, I want you to think about that. 180 days is half of the school year, which is the equivalent of six months. We want teachers to be able to to make sure that children are reading and writing on grade level within a matter of four months. And I'm saying this in the context of just put the time together because if I'm gonna be the principal in this matter, we say that there's 10 months of school, but 10 months of school does not equal how many times kids are out because of holidays, because of some type of um, 
midwinter break or spring break, right? When you take all of those into consideration, every month has 20 work days approximately. So within four to five months after kids have been in school, they take a state exam, a standardized test. That's supposed to show that the teacher has done an exceptional job. But here's the problem with that. When we think about the pandemic, one, there has been a tremendous amount of learning loss for many students, not just the ones who come from um, underprivileged communities. But if we wanted to get technical about those who come from underserved neighborhoods, Let's just talk about the lack of support that's at home because many of the parents don't have the academic skills to support their children. There are families where people are just trying to make ends meet and they have multiple jobs and they can't be home to support their kids. There aren't resources in their immediate neighborhood. They don't even have books in their own household. And that's really not the family's fault, right? Because You might come from a home that was privileged enough to have a bookcase full of books, but there are a lot of kids who don't have that luxury. And for them, it's a luxury. There are children who are living in forced care with parents who don't care. And there are those who are in temporary housing who are just trying to survive another night. There's so much that children are facing And they come into the school building and teachers are trying to just deal with the emotional issues that present themselves. But yet we're expecting them to become the miracle workers. So here's the thing. When I was a principal, I felt like one test cannot make or break a child. I thought it was unfair to look at a test and measure the, whether or not a teacher had done effective work. It was my job to be in classes all day, every day, and any staff member that you come across will tell you I was in classes all the time because I needed to see how this teacher was presenting information. What was their instructional practices? What pedagogical skills did they have? That was important to me. And so there were teachers who were masters at their subject area, and there were those who needed support. And quite frankly, there was a few who could not stay in front of anyone's child because they weren't good for teaching. But then there was also the scholars and wanting to make sure that we looked beyond just a test. So it was mandatory that they had portfolios because I wanted to see a body of work. I wanted to know where they started at the beginning of the year and what progress they made. Now that was the accountability of the teacher to show me how they were helping to improve that child. So when we think about the testing schedule, I wanna get a little bit deeper as it relates to the US. Many of us only know this system because if you were born and raised or have lived here for a very long time and attended the schools within the system, that's all you know. But here's the problem, the world is bigger, education is global, and as someone who has done 
um, a global ambassadorship. I've had the privilege of going to see schools around the world and getting to understand the use of standardized testing and testing procedures. And what I'm gonna say to you is that we are so naive in so many ways. And so I just wanna take this quick opportunity of just providing a little bit of context. So when we hear about how the US ranks across nations and that we're not doing significantly well, that comes from a test called the Program for International Student Assessment, which is the PISA, P-I-S-A. And it is conducted by the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, which is the OECD. Now, currently, the top ranking five countries are China, Singapore, Estonia, Japan, and South Korea. Notice how four of the five are Asian countries. And it's not about the stereotypes that they're better, they're smarter. I'll get into what they are comprised of when it comes to their testing and their school days in a minute. But if we wanted to round it out to the top 10, we would add Canada, Finland, Poland, Ireland, and the UK. Four of the five are European countries. So what makes them lead? Well, let's go back to the 180 days of our school system and why the US ranks lowest when it comes to school days. See, in China, the average days of school is 245. Japan is 220. Canada is 196 and the UK is 190. And when it comes to testing in many of these countries, they have picked a milestone of years. What do I mean by that? Well, in China, the children take major tests in middle school and then in high school. Now, it's not to say they don't take tests before, but the ones that hold the most weight happens in middle school and as they prepare to go to high school. But when they're in high school, there is a college placement exam and it is called the Gokao. It's spelled G-A-O-K-A-O, all one word. And it is literally a 12 hour exam. Do you understand that the country shuts down? There is not to be a peep from the street, not an ambulance, not a police car. Everyone is to be quiet because they take great pride in their children showing success on that exam. And over across in the pond in the UK, children take tests, but the way their school system is set up is by years. So year two is the equivalent of children age six to seven, right? And that would be around our first grade, first or second grade. Yeah, first or second grade. And then there's year um, six. And year six is those who are 10 to 11 years old. And year nine, right, ninth grade is 13 to 14. And then year 11 is 15 to 16. That's only four exams, four exams. So what I wanna highlight is that each of these countries that I mentioned, they're excelling ahead of the United States that administers tests, standardized tests, every single year. You don't have particular milestones. 
unless you consider the milestone of fourth and seventh grade determining whether or not we should open more prisons or maintain the ones we have. That's what happens in the U.S. And after eighth grade in the United um, in New York City, kids have to take what's considered the Regents, and it's in a majority of all subject areas. So the importance of me making this point is that I need to stress the fact that there is also a culture of learning that begins at home. See, parents and guardians are considered the cornerstone and foundation of where children learn and are taught first, which is with them. And even if they don't understand, parents have a high expectation that children go to school and they go to learn. And there's also a national focus on education. There aren't these major debates about critical race theory or standards, right? Their standards have been consistent. The United States, they have changed. Those policies were made in conjunction with assessments. Those assessments were connected to curriculum. Those curriculums was connected to books. And ultimately, it all came down to funding. It came down to lobbyists. It came down to people making decisions that weren't in the best interest of children. In these other countries, they're not changing curriculums and, and standards at the drop of a dime. So there really is no pressure on showing mastery on one standardized test every single year. Nope. The expectation is that children are showing progress in their work and having positive achievements over time. And unfortunately, when children take tests in New York, the principal doesn't get the results until August. Most recently, it was September. How is that possible when a test is administered in April and it's graded by the end of May, early June? And when I say graded, they're graded because there's two parts. The first part is the multiple choice and that's ran through a Scantron machine. The second part is considered the extended response where they write short responses or an essay. And that's graded by teachers who are pulled out from schools to grade them before the school year is over. But yet there are no scores. You have to wait. What sense does that make? What point is being made from that? Here's the thing. I wanted to share this with you because we don't take time to see how much of a disservice it can be. And when teachers, you're beating yourselves up about whether or not you're good enough or principals are feeling like, oh my God, I'm failing kids. It's the timeline that's failing you. It's the timeline. And what I want you to know is that at the end of the day, most of this is being driven by the almighty dollar, the most capitalistic capitalistic society is focused on making money off of curriculum books and assessments, right? And most of the people who are behind this Don't put their children in public schools that are the most affected because this isn't happening in private schools. 
The second thing is schools that have been identified as low achieving, they get additional funding. But here's the problem. They also get poor quality of support. And that money only attracts companies that create these quick schemes of fixing the gaps that's happening in your school, right? They create, they, they stamp it and they say learning loss or they say uh, common core. Whatever the buzzword is, they created the new thing. They don't have the magic bullet. They don't have the ability to choke, to close the achievement gap. The adults who are in the classroom, they're the ones who do that work, but what they need is professional development. And so that funding that should go towards them becoming better and children actually achieving, well, that's not the priority. And here's the third thing. This is a system of the have and have nots. When I talked about the private school kids, my daughter went to a private school and she wasn't subjected to the same type of testing. In fact, what they took was what they call battery tests. And it takes all subject areas that they should have taken throughout that school year. And it assessed whether or not they were able to understand and master those subjects. Sine never encountered having to do the skill and drill, right? And that's what it looks like in our schools where they're constantly being asked questions that pertain to specific standards, that pertain to practice around questions that should be asked or may be asked on a test. And so there's constantly this feeling of, I gotta know it, I gotta get it, I gotta do it, I gotta, and that's the stress and anxiety. So here are my recommendations. I just have a couple. All right, I have five, <laughs> but here they are. First one, teachers and leaders, you have to know the narrative. What do I mean by that? Know your kids. See, if you keep holding yourself accountable to just the test, you're going to feel like you're failing. You need to know what the children came in with and what work you had to do to get them to even show progress by the end of the year. You have to have a body of work, which should be your portfolio. You have to have the children know how well they have been doing and to speak to that, right? Because the praise comes in their progress. And if we think about those other countries, they don't wait year to year to say, oh, whether or not a child has mastered this. They give them time because we all know children need time to learn. Adults need time to learn. So know the narrative. The second thing is, you know, the ones who make these policies, they're elected or they're appointed into the positions. And they're supposed to represent the people. So the people need to show up. And guess who the people are? That's the parents. That's the community at large. That's the teachers and that's the leaders. Y'all have a right to hold these elected officials accountable. Lord knows I did. I made a lot of them feel uncomfortable. I've invited some to sit in my office so that they could experience what the test was like. And they did not realize 
that at the time children were timed to take the test. They didn't realize that the questions that were being asked were excerpts out of an entirely large chapter book, you know, hundreds of pages, that the stories that the children were reading were never intended to be part of a state exam. They didn't know that. And it was very interesting to me. So I had to show them. You have a responsibility to hold those individuals accountable because they're making decisions that have a lifelong impact on our children. And the third one has to do with parents. Parents need to become advocates. You know, you put your kids in these schools with um, adults who you don't know. You can know their name. You can know what they look like. But what do you know about them? And that's not a negative. What I'm saying is you need to one, know your child, but you need to know that teachers should not have to do everything to save your children. It is your responsibility to be active as parents, to be present. You have to be abreast to what's happening because the system was not designed for your children to do exceptionally well, nor does it care about your involvement because it quite honestly doesn't care. It knows that you have to work. It knows that you're busy. It knows that, you know, you don't have the capacity of teaching your children. So by default, you need the system. We've all needed the system, but you better show up. And I'm saying that as somebody who ran a school, who opened a school, I'm also saying that as a parent who was at the schools asking all type of questions. And if I couldn't make it, my mother made it. So my question is, who's the aunt, the uncle, the cousin, the godmother, the brother, the sister, all the people you're going to invite to graduation, who are the ones who are going to stay in your house, supporting your child to learn? to do extracurricular activities. Who's the person who's going to show up at the parent teacher's meeting that you can't make it to? Because when you're asking for the extra graduation ticket, my question is what involvement did that person have in the growth and development of that child when it came to school? I was notorious for saying, oh, I don't have an extra ticket for somebody who I didn't see. Because if the village was inside of the school, the only ones who need to be here are you the parent or parents and the rest of us who put in time and attention. And I say it with love, but I have to be honest because everybody wants to come for the celebration, but it takes more than that, right? And then we also need to recognize, this is the fourth recommendation that children won't fare well on just one exam. We don't celebrate creativity enough. And kids can demonstrate proficiency in other areas outside of an English or math test. The reality is that these children are going online and have learned so much through YouTube. They know how to edit these TikTok videos. They know how to become entrepreneurs, right? Many of them are making a lot of money. But this goes into what my fifth point is, and that is... Well, before I get to that, let me say this with the fourth part. They're doing all of these things, but these tests are robbing them of their potential because at the end of the day, their self-esteem 
gets hit when they feel like they're not good enough. And then it's further reinforced with the language that we use. Lack of proficiency. Underdeveloped, right? That's a negative. There's nothing positive about that. That's why you need a body of work, which is the portfolio. So now let me jump ahead to number five. Number five. Well, here's the thing as a collective, as a community, we have the responsibility to go beyond the four walls and the corners of our community and know what's happening around the world. Because the world is advancing. Let's be clear on that. And the U.S., we're falling behind. Other nations are way ahead. And if I'm going to be super transparent, when I talk about kids being able to become content creators and they're doing amazing things, right? There's a, there's a few that have become millionaires. But the real question is, how sustainable is that? Because what are they actually creating? What are they building? What are they implementing? What are they changing? Most people are making money helping you to buy something, right? They are reviewing a toy. They're reviewing food, but they're not making the food. They're not making the toy. So in five to 10 years from now, where will that person be if they haven't learned also how to create, build, implement, and change? That's the power of education. That goes beyond the test. Now, I hope you got something out of that. And I want to sincerely say this to my fellow educators. I know how hard this is. I know the difficulty that you face. I know the pressure. So I don't say this from, you know, a place of not knowing that things are not going to change overnight. I speak it from a place of there is power in the narrative and understanding that you're changing lives every single day. Creating experiences in schools where children feel loved, feel seen, and they do better than what they did when they first came in. That's the work. And you're not going to get a thank you. You're not going to get the recognition, but I want to take this opportunity to say thank you on behalf of those families, on behalf of the children and future generations to come. You don't know what you're depositing today, but I can tell you it is exceptional work. And it doesn't go unseen because you have been called to do this. So you're serving a greater power. Whether it's the ancestors whose shoulders you stand on or the spirit that is the creator that led you to this position. I don't want you to be discouraged, but I also don't want you to destroy yourself thinking that you're not good enough. And that's why you're not taking care of yourself because you're so worried. Our children need the best of you. And if ever that doesn't happen anymore, then that's something you have to consider in terms of what your next steps are going to be. But for right now, 
Don't let these tests take away the joy. You can pick up a copy of my book, The Bridge to Brilliance. Yes, this is going to be the final plug. <laughs> and it captures my work of what I did to look beyond the exams and how I was able to empower children in Brownsville and ultimately my staff as well. See, the thing is, is that those young people who when they came in, only 6% were proficient, which meant I had one or two children to enter sixth grade reading on a grade level that was on or above, right? And that was out of 75 children. I want to say that again. I had one or two out of 75. I was a middle school principal. So when those children ended up going to competitive high schools, when those young people were reading uh, New York Times bestselling books, when those young people were doing things that Many people were so taken aback, like, how is this possible? It was because I knew what was possible beyond a test. And I saw them as human beings. And so they ended up going to college and they ended up starting careers if they decided that they weren't going to go to college. But regardless of what, it was making sure that my teachers were empowered to pour into the children and that we understood that the numbers, sometimes they lie when someone else is reading them. So until next time, folks, please take gentle care of yourself. That includes your heart and spirit. Thank you for serving time with me here in detention. Don't forget to subscribe and to tell a friend so that this way you're up to date on new episodes that will drop every week. You can also follow us on Instagram at Detention Podcast. If you want to learn more about my services as a coach, consultant, and keynote speaker, go to www.thelopezeffect.com. And let's stay connected on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by following me on my handle, The Lopez Effect. Lastly, if you have any topic ideas, questions or comments, or want to sponsor future episodes, please send me an email at detentionwithdrnadialopez at gmail.com. All of this information will be in the show notes, so don't worry if you didn't get it down. I also want to send a gentle reminder to my disruptors and rebels. It's okay for us to get into a little bit of good trouble, but please take gentle care of yourself, be well, and never forget to choose you.